this week on the Socratic Cinema Podcast. But as Gabe Thomas knows, I did have to Google the Common Sense Media and IMDb Parents Guides page just before watching. And oh my God. I had my sweater like a little blankie and I would pull my sweater up to my little chin when things got scary. Um, People that are into birds can easily, easily incorporate bird knowledge into any conversation. And I just want to make sure that everyone knows that it's James. Yeah. Did you know that drive my car, it takes 45 minutes for the opening credits to roll? Oh like, my lord. The winds be howling, don't thee me wikis. I, sir. I, it, it appears that y'all will need to go outside and fix the wires, the, the podcast recording. It's, it's fritzing, the internet be fritzing. But the howl and the wind might make you cold. Will you do it? Aye, sir. Aye. But I have one request. What would that request be, laddie? When will I get access to the Discord, Ooh, sir? Attend the Discord, damn it. That Aye. is my domain, the light, the Discord. They be enchanted. Hark! <laughs> you, you don't like me, lobster. <laughs> Tell me um, you like me, lobster. No, <laughs> no that, that seafood boil was buzzing, sir. You don't like me, Discord bot. <laughs> <laughs> your, lo your lobster's buzzing, Captain. <laughs> It's equivocally buzzing, sir. Uh, welcome, audience. Scene, uh, uh, thank you all for, for listening to whatever the heck that was. Uh, if you couldn't tell, we are talking about The Lighthouse, a very funny and very good and very also not funny simultaneously movie. There's lots of emotions going on uh, by Robert Eggers, his sophomore film, uh, we watched it recently in honor of Spoopy Month, uh, as it is the great month of October. Uh, and I actually forced James and Casey to watch this. And this has been a request from even Riley, our, our editor, for a very long time for all of us to talk about The Lighthouse because there's so much to unpack here. There's lots of stuff happening. There are lots of theories. And really, if you just watch it for the first time and you're not trying to analyze it, uh, it just ends up being a little indecipherable. But interesting nonetheless so i'm very intrigued to hear what my podcast hosts uh have to say about this uh because there's a lot to dive into but first as always we'll start with our initial impressions casey what did you think of the lighthouse little me uh i like the movie to be honest i it was definitely freaky um <laughs> definitely definitely freaky but it wasn't hard to watch uh, and as you guys know, I don't love, love, uh, uh, uncomfortable movie. I don't love a movie that makes me feel just, yeah, just makes me itch, makes me break out into hives. But this movie really wasn't, uh, it was, it, <laughs> it did make me itch at some points, but because it wasn't a full, um, hive experience i feel like i was able to get through it fairly well there are definitely some scenes that my jaw was on the floor we actually watched this movie together um so we got to see besties yeah besties, <laughs> besties. so we got to hear each other's reactions and see the facial expressions and just hear the utter disgust or awe or 
yeah, <laughs> all the emotions. Uh, but overall, I think the performances were really, really good. Robert Pattinson killed it. I going to love anything with Willem Dafoe in it. E my little Willem Dafoe's a part of my little weird white men brigade that I like. <laughs> I'm like yes, I would literally like. I could defend you. Please don't do anything now, Willem Dafoe, because now that I've endorsed you, you you can't you can't do anything bad. Um, but Willem Dafoe and Steve Buscemi are in my little white man brigade. But Willem Dafoe definitely fulfilled his his spot in the weird white man brigade. Um, and it was just it was an experience. But I I would definitely give it a nine. A nine. Yo. Wow. Nine yeah. or 8.5 out of 10. Mm. Interesting. You, you decide. <laughs> You're tottering. Um, fascinating, Casey. Fascinating, really. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of white men I'd put in my weird white man brigade. Um, <laughs> most, most of them are just based on the way they look. Uh, you know hey, the guy. Well, you gotta course. say so. Yeah. You know the guy from The Bear? I forget the actor's name. Yeah. <laughs> He's yeah. like he's in he's, the weird boyfriend brigade. He's my guy. I, I like him. He's my guy. Um, he <laughs> Lip also, from Shameless. Yeah. He also looks a lot like the guy from Do Revenge. Casey, did you notice that? I did. I did. And I okay. Here's my thing. Because because I know the guy from Do Revenge as Ethan from Euphoria. So I saw that man literally go through hell last season. But he. He he bounced back as Ethan. So seeing him as literally like this preppy, um, I wear earrings. I have my fingers painted. I mean, he was attractive. So like I was I was digging it, even though he is a misogynist. Dang, L L me. In real life or in the movie? You know, you make compromises. In the movie, you make compromises. Um, Yeah, exactly, compromises. But yes, I wouldn't necessarily add him into the weird uh, white man brigade. But definitely the guy from Bear. And yeah. The guy from Do Revenge, you know what he was given a little bit of? And this is a this camp? is a Are you gonna say no. this is a this is a certified Kaylin Meadows take because I watched Do Revenge with, with her and some other friends. Uh he was very much like manifesting the performance of Timothy Chalamet and Ladybird for for that part in Do Revenge. He was like mm. trying his best to tap into that. That, that is that a solid set. take. Um, that is a solid take. And, and I think it paid <laughs> off. But The Lighthouse. The Lighthouse. I have never seen a, a this is my first uh Robert Eggers movie. I wanted to see The Northman, uh but I didn't. Just just had happenstance. I'm not, I will not be watching The Vavitch anytime soon because it's too scary. <laughs> um, Casey, I got to ask. I yes. got to ask you because you like horror movies. I do. But you don't like uncomfortable movies. Ah, uh, yes. Okay. So here's, here's the breakdown. All okay. right. Okay. Yep. Yep. If you want to put someone's head through a ble- uh, bread slicer, that's on you. I when it comes to horror movies, I enjoy 
a I I, I enjoy the camp. I, so you I like slashers. Then you like like I, I like all across the board. Um, because even though see, and even when people describe this as a horror movie, I'm like, this is more. I don't know. It was giving more like thriller to me. Lighthouse. Um, just a little bit, like it has that psycho- like psychological thriller. Yeah, Whoa. on Netflix, I would imagine it would be tagged with dark and cerebral. Yeah, thrillers to me <laughs> Literally, are... Literally, yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. I feel like I, I always thought thrillers were more just like... Like... In- <laughs> Intense, in, yeah, yeah, uh, intense movies like like uh, movies that get your blood pumping, like uh, and and this movie like didn't. No, this movie made you feel like a, a crazy freak. Um, this is <laughs> like this is like um very. I'm thinking of ending things pilled, but this one was real scary. Um, you could call it a psychological thriller, I guess. But yeah, I, I, I'm with you in that. It's the same exact categorization of I'm thinking of ending things, and I don't know what that category uh, is. It's called movies okay. that make it's, it's brain called, hurt. It's called You're the Crazy One. Um, <laughs> no, literally. Um. <laughs> I, I, I gotta say, first Robert Eggers movie. I was pre- it was pretty good. It was pretty weird. A uh, little kooky. What a freaky <laughs> thing to make. Um, what is what a strange little picture to make. I want to read the script for this because I, I like. Or the screenplay, I should say, because I I want to see like, did Robert Eggers write this as well? I don't know. Oh yeah. Um, okay, he's a he's a writer director kind of guy. Because uh, I I wanted to like look and 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 just see what. How do you initially come up with some of these ideas? Because <laughs> um, wow, there's a lot of stuff that happens in this movie and its runtime. We got to the point that I could have sworn was the climax. And then there was another 45 minutes of movie. And I was like, oh, literally. Oh, my gosh. Um, But it was really good. I was really good. Four, three. Tasty to me. Um, Always like to see a little little square action. Um, I don't know what to say. I mean, I think this may be. Is it Robert Pattinson's best performance? It is an insanely good performance from Pattinson. probably is i know there's that one movie that everyone really likes him in oh, but i'm breaking dawn no not I was Twilight thinking about the <laughs> movie where he falls in love with the girl and then in the ending scene it's he's in the twin towers it's the craziest thing i'd ever seen um i mean like okay he's great in the batman but i don't that's not to me that's not like a career defining yeah yeah no listen i am in love with robert pattinson's bruce wayne he is literally me for real for real um (laughs) but i think i think i think this might be uh i would say this is probably the best performance i've seen from pattinson i think about that final shot or it's like second to final shot of him looking at the light with all the oil and blood on his face just like screaming crazy he just like me for real (laughs) yeah insane thing i loved it um i would say now here's before i give my rating i need to talk a little bit about this my rating scale has been shifting i used to what (laughs) one of these people (laughs) charlie you literally 
I came up with the <laughs> shut your mouth. Um, a little I, bit of self dig. Glad we all yeah, got out of that one. Yeah. Um, I feel like in the past, my average rating was sitting around like a seven. And I would give, so like if it was better than average, I'd give it like an eight. And if it was worse than average, I'd give it a six. Recently, my, my like average has been moving closer to six. So six is the new normal for me. Um, uh, and so with that being said, I would give this like, like a high 7.5 to an eight. Uh, I would say an eight, like a sur- a sturdy eight. Um, really great. Uh, probably not like for me <laughs> entirely. And I do think I will say, all right, as much as I, it's like a ha ha that I thought there was, the movie was almost done and there was 45 more minutes. I do feel like the pacing of it got a little repetitive to me at points, which could be considered intentional. However, there it did come to a time where I was like, how many times are we going to go through this cycle of like, you think this is the freakiest argument they've ever had. And then they you go insane. <laughs> right, and then they cool off and get drunk and dance around. And then it happens like four more times. And that cycle did get a little like, I had no way of gauging where we were in the plot, which might be a good thing, but I felt like I was lost at sea a little bit. Um, pun maybe intentional. <laughs> oh my um, God. Oh. <laughs> I don't know if it's intentional, but yeah, I'm feeling like a, a, sto- a solid eight and I like this movie by Robert Eggers and maybe I'll watch more. I'll probably watch The Northman. I don't think I'll be watching The Witch, The Vavitch anytime soon. The Vavitch. Unless. Unless what? Unless. Unless what? What do you mean? You harass us in the comments. Or you gotta be you smoking that Zaza if you think I'm influenced by commenters. Or if you uh, (laughs) now wait a minute. (laughs) No, listen, we're gonna come back to that. What I was gonna say, (laughs) we'll circle back. Is uh, if you're a patron. And you uh, want to throw some exor- <laughs> an exorbitant amount. I'm joking. Not even an exorbitant amount. Um, but if you $5. become a patron, there is a tier in which you could tell us what movie to watch. Right. It's only happened once. It was the it's Big Lebowski. It's only happened once. Yeah. For, for $15, you can make us watch a movie. and we You could have- make us watch The Conjuring. Oh, my gosh. You could. You could. But, but I wouldn't be on that episode because I will have died. <laughs> but your like, tolerance is so high you need to believe in yourself no I, literally it's not that high though like it's really not i i get i get scared and i cover my eyes and i go Ooh. um <laughs> actually i didn't i didn't close my eyes during barbarian but as gabe thomas knows i did have to google the common sense media and imdb parents guides pages <laughs> before watching and oh my god. I had my sweater like a little blankie and I would pull my sweater up to my little chin when things got scary. Um <laughs> I'm James, I can't with you. I'm a little boy. I'm just a little boy. I'm just a little so boy. Funny. I'm just a little boy. Charlie, take what take this from me. Make me stop talking. <laughs> uh wow. Uh I love all the things that just were admitted on air. Uh but yes, The Lighthouse. I made Casey and James watch it. And as I said, it's been a highly requested movie for a very long time. Yeah. My experience with uh, one Mr. Robert Eggers is I watched Lighthouse a random week of my freshman year of college. And it was because my roommate was out and it was late at night. So I turned off the lights and the only light in the room was the light of the lighthouse what coming the, at me. The lighthouse? Was the lighthouse. 
Uh, and this is the correct atmosphere to watch this movie in. Uh, the four by three aspect ratio, as James was talking about and said, as we were watching is very awesome because it forces you to focus on whatever is on the screen. Like in a wider aspect ratio, you can look at details that are, you know, maybe not central to the shot, but with the four by three, everything that is on the frame, you are forced to confront in some sort of way. And this movie makes great use of that because the entire point of it is it's trying to make you feel insane. Uh, the reason why it has such a weird set of pacing and like this repeated structure is because when you're in the flow state with this movie and probably not joking around uh, with your two other friends while watching it, uh, <laughs> when you're in the flow state, it just gets like I, I, I it's so hard to describe. You just start swirling like you, you go just as crazy as the people in the lighthouse as Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson. Uh, and you're really swept away into this narrative that's constantly making you reconsider the, your basic understanding of the plot. I think my favorite fact that I found five seconds before recording is that uh, Robert Pattinson's character is listed as two different people depending on which website you look at. On IMDb, he is listed as one Thomas Howard. But if you go to Rotten Tomatoes, he is listed as Ephraim Winslow. Hmm. And the fact that even these major movie sites cannot agree on which character he is and i didn't stay for the credits so i don't know which one he actually is uh the fact that they can't agree on which one he actually is is so telling of how just like mind messy i wanted to use a different word there uh this movie is uh and <laughs> you know besides uh the lighthouse i've also seen uh the northmen and it does continue robert eggers obsession with farts and burps in a very good way, and his obsession with Willem Dafoe in a very good way. Uh, what but, else was Willem Dafoe in from him? I'm unfamiliar. Willem Dafoe was in this and also The Northman. Uh, he was? And, yes. Hmm. He's that, again, saying craggly old man doesn't really help, but yeah, no, he's he a craggly is indeed old a craggly old man. Very hmm. craggly. Did uh, you guys both see The Northman? I did. Huh? I didn't, but I watched the trailers and I was like, Willem! Oh, and he's <laughs> definitely in it. Uh, but yeah, The Northman is is very good, but I still like The Lighthouse uh, a lot more. It, it's just a really, really tight movie. Uh, it, it has a very clear premise. And as soon as you see one frame of it, you instantly understand what the movie is going to be like. Uh, or at least you have a good understanding of, of parts of what the movie are going to be like. So to give it a rating... I really enjoyed this the first time I watched it. It is on my top 20 movies on Letterboxd. Mm -hmm. uh, I sort of got to give this uh, a perfect 10 out of 10 because I enjoy it wow. so, so much. Whoa, that's perfect. a certified, certified Charlie Heatherly perfect 10 out of 10. Up there in the upper echelons of filmmaking along with uh, stuff like Face Off and Bullet Train. And <laughs> Chef. Okay, Chef Bullet Train is... I did not give a 10 out of 10. No, I know, I know. Chef actually... I don't know how it would do on a rewatch, but I just, I almost don't want to rewatch it. I don't want to taint my memories of Chef. I um, watched it again and it was just as fun. Oh, good. I have, I have a new 10 out of 10. I have a, new 10 a, a, 10? a Socratic Cinema Hood Classic 10 out of 10. Um, <laughs> classic. New all-time favorite movie. Uh, my personality, when I watched this movie, I, I, my eyes were scanning it like a little retro computer from the movies doing the like scanning scanning downloading a new my brain formed a new chunk a new personality core <laughs> formed around this movie it is hirokazu koreeda's afterlife 
Oh, I'm not going to say anything. That even sounds cool. I'm not going to talk about it. Go watch it. This movie is my new... I'm a new James. New personality (laughs) unlocked. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, Let's... You know what? Before we go any further. Before we go any further, allow me to take a moment to talk about today's sponsors. Our patrons, of course, is what I'm referring to. That's right. In case you didn't know, patreon.com is a crowdsourced funding website where you can support your favorite creators directly by putting putting money straight in their pockets instead of going through the bureaucracy of YouTube, of Spotify. It's a great way to support your favorite creators. And and episodes like these and video essays like the ones that I make when I come out of my little comas um, are are funded and supported and made possible by you guys. So thank you very much to all our patrons. And I'd like to take a moment now to recite from my little scroll of names all of the patrons who have made this show possible. Today, I'm talking about Rachel Delicio. I'm talking about Lisa Delicio. I'm talking about the one and only Samuel Copeland. Just, just the greatest guy. I'm talking about Jeanette Clark. I'm talking about Heather and Michael Clark, both of them. Mariah Helm, Peter Delicio, Roger Anderson, Hizzy Hay, Christopher Heatherly, the one and only Salvador Reyes, and of course, Skull Hammer Smash. Thank you all so very much for your continued support of the podcast, of the channel, of our, of our personal little quest to watch movies and say funny things about them. Thank you very much. We hope you are, are enjoying the show and, and hope you feel good about your investment. And thank you. And, and, and if you would like to, to join this, this, this motley crew, you can do so at patreon.com slash Socratic Cinema. So thank you again. Later this episode, we have some questions from our patrons that we're going to answer. So make sure you stick around for that. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, without further ado, uh, let's talk about the fight house. Nope. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, guys, did you know, actually, according to the subtle genius of the prowler, that big blah noise <laughs> actually means that the prowler is coming into this movie. Um, where do we begin? Where do we begin? Let's talk about bird cruelty. Because oh, let me, yeah. Yeah. Let yeah. Me tell you. Cruelty trigger warning, guys. <laughs> Real, if you, like me, are a fan of our feathered friends, then so I would you literally give you, don't think birds are real. They're not I, real. No, I think they're figuratively. It's like a little joke. I'm uh, for those of you guys who don't know, mm-hmm. <clears throat> I'm actually an officer of the birding club at my school. So just kind of showed you. <laughs> okay, guys, at. did I not just you guys know, but the audience doesn't know. I just sent in one of our chats a video, a TikTok, if you will, about how people that are into birds can easily, easily incorporate bird knowledge into any conversation. And I just want to make sure that everyone knows that it's James, that this video was made with James's picture right next to them as they're typing up the script. Yeah. Anyways, continue. Well, I was just going to say, so at first, you know, this movie, very bird-centric movie. Going to add this to the birder list. Well, I was going to add this to the birder movie-watching list because it's all about seagulls, really, when it comes down to it. <laughs> um, there's, 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 there's a lot of bird imagery. Robert Pattinson has a bit of a problem with the seagulls on the island. Namely, they keep bothering him. And there's a, there's a little clever bit of cinema foreshadowing there uh, of this one-eyed seagull that doesn't leave Pattinson alone. I wonder... 
I wonder what's going to happen. I wonder there. what that could mean. I wonder mean. what that means. We'll talk about it. But so I was like, oh, wow, I love that there's so many birds in this movie. That's just great. This is almost as good as Jack Black's The Big Year is what I was thinking. Um, what? And- <laughs> See, that's, that's a movie what are that the I don't. words coming out of your mouth? Jack Black's The Big Year is a movie that I don't think is actually real. I've seen it, but I, you had no clue what it is just now. I also mentioned it to to Gabe Thomas and Michael Sane, my best friends and co-creators of Good Morning News, who have seen, I think, every movie ever made. They'll will like they'll be talking and they'll and they'll be like they'll make a reference to like, oh, have you seen uh you remember that one part in Gut Squelcher 4 when they when they blow up the and, Gabe, and Gabe's like, yeah, of course. I watched that last <laughs> night. Um and and I mention the big year with Jack Black Owen and Owen Wilson and they're like, what the hell are you talking about? So I don't, this movie, I don't think is real, but it's a, it's a, it's a good bird. It's a good, it's a movie about bird watching um, with Jack Black and Owen Wilson. Um, and then Robert Pattinson kills the seagull in this, in the lighthouse. As he Pretty should. violently. Yeah. Yep. It, it, it like, he, he really, yeah, he really gave it a bit of a thrashing. Uh, I, that, that bird was, was like, asking for it. That, that was, bird had it coming. No, it did not. That was maybe the like, <laughs> honestly, that was, that was maybe one of the like most unnerving parts of the movie to me was just the uncut like shot of him smacking that bird on the rock over and over and over and over again. And it's just like a pulp at the end. Uh, that was really, uh, that was really, that was really messed up, man. <laughs> Not gonna lie. <laughs> um, but what does that bird mean, Charlie? What does the bird mean? What does the bird mean? Birds. I, explain to me the symbolism of the bird. I got a couple theories. So, okay. Willem Dafoe and his infinite wisdom inside of this movie, Old Tom, as you mm-hmm. could call him, mm-hmm. uh, says that that goals have the spirits of dead sailors trapped within them, and it's bad luck to kill a seabird. Mm. Uh, and that I was very good. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've I've been working on my Willem Dafoe. Nice. Uh, so the spirit of dead sailor is trapped within him, right? Here's the interesting thing about the goal: it's got one eye, right? Half blind, one eye. What mm-hmm. do we see at the very end of the movie? But Robert Pattinson's character stretched across the rocks, being eaten alive like Prometheus, with but one eye eaten out. Uh, mm. And it, it's the same eye. It's the right eye. At least I'm pretty mm. sure it's the right eye in, in both of them. Maybe they just happened to find a, a a left or a right-eyed seagull, and we're just like, yeah, it's you know, we'll fix it in post. But uh, what I think is probably happening is that there is some connection between Robert Pattinson's character and the seagull. So I would very much hope that Robert Eggers, in his infinite wisdom, and Max Eggers, who he writes these scripts with, uh, thought like, okay, you know. We need to connect every part of this movie and every character in this movie is pretty much the same character because that's my other theory is that every character is basically just Ephraim Winslow or Thomas Wake or, you know, Robert Pattinson, essentially. Uh, that this seagull is sort of either an embodiment of the uh, of the fellow wiki that he killed or it is uh, a future version of, of Robert Pattinson's character. I like to think that uh, the the one-eyed seagull is probably an embodiment of the wiki that he killed, uh, as that would make sense to me. Because I think this movie yeah. definitely does not play with time in a linear fashion. Uh, so it is safe to assume that some events are happening out of order, and even the past and the present and the future can all collide at, in one moment. 
uh, in a way that you would not normally see in, you know, how normal life works. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I, I think that any reading of this movie sounds both ridiculous and like it could maybe be a thing. And I don't know if anyone actually knows the real answer, but I'm pretty sure that the goal is representing either uh, a dead version of Willem Dafoe or of of uh, Robert Pattinson. I can't tell you which one. Uh, well, I hmm. definitely I also had kind of two interpretations of it. I for sure I think J- James and I talked about this after um, after viewing that we we're going to watch a whole bunch of Lighthouse Explained videos. Um, and from those videos, they brought up a couple of points. But um, when I was watching it, my initial um, like interpretation was that the goal was the soul of the dead wiki that also had one eye that you find his head in the lobster basket, um, which is like, dang, man, the lobster basket for real? That anyways, that was upsetting. But outside of that, I've seen a lot of kind of comparisons drawn from the goal or that's the goals or that specific goal to the Raven um, in Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven and how it's like just kind of that sense of you have this winged uh, (laughs) feathered paranoia machine that just kind of won't leave you alone until you do something about it. And then everything starts going downhill if you ever try to, like, um, confront or antagonize that bird. Yeah, so that was just another interesting um, thing that, I, that, it, that had come up for me. But I definitely agree that the bird could completely be either uh, Big Tom or Little Tom. <laughs> or yeah. Winslow. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because let's explain that real quick because it is a little confusing. Okay. Robert Pattinson introduces himself as Ephraim Winslow. Yes. And throughout the entire movie, Willem Dafoe claims that he's the same person, and that's old Tom, uh, specifically Thomas Wake. Mm-hmm. Uh, throughout the movie, it gets a little confusing because Willem Dafoe then starts calling Robert Pattinson's character Thomas, aka Thomas Howard. Uh, which was the name of his quote-unquote old wiki. But then sometimes when Robert Pattinson chokes out Willem Dafoe, Willem Dafoe looks like Thomas Howard. Uh, So it's really fluid who is who. And probably what's happening is that Robert Pattinson is Thomas Howard and Willem Dafoe is Thomas Wake. Uh, And... Uh, Thomas Howard is the one that kills Thomas Wake. That's probably what it's trying to say. So there, then where, where, it's a little confusing. I'm not going to lie. I was so busy riffing with you guys that I, I did lose a couple details. Mm-hmm. Where did the name, did, where did the name, uh, Ephraim Winslow come from? Was that just like, is there any significance to that? Or he just picked up a pseudonym? He, or, he, he just says his name is that, right? No, I'm pretty sure from the explained videos that I watched and um, I kind of picked it up in the movie that basically Ephraim Winslow was the name of his boss at his past job. Oh, that's that right. Oh, I right. see. I um, see. And I've just found that it, because when I was watching the movie, my kind of theory about the identity was that um, Tom um, Tommy Howard had 
killed whoever Ephraim Winslow was, whether right. that be and my like immediately I me immediately going to patricide of uh, be like he killed so he killed his father or he killed um someone that he was connected to and that's any kind of like stolen identity and that's kind of what he's been going under. Uh but they kind of explain it as Ephraim Winslow was his boss that had a accident that which is the accident, it's kind of up in the air about whether or not um, Tommy Howard was involved in the accident. And mm-hmm. that's why, like, was it a purposeful accident that killed his boss? Or was it just a simple accident that Tommy, like, witnessed, um, not resulted in the passing of his boss? Uh, but then he takes his name and then he eventually, like, which is, like, come uh, not comes out. That's a really bad way to talk about it but he reveals his his true identity as thomas howard to uh uh, big tom or captain wake um and i think that was maybe the not the first night that they got drunk but it was definitely within that montage of them kind of just drinking every night after the relief boat didn't come right he like actively mentions that that's not his real name Yes. Yeah. Oh God, we were riffing over that part. Yeah, we definitely <laughs> were. There was a there was a big chunk. I'm not gonna lie. There was a big chunk that I was completely like zoned out, and I zoned back in when when Willem Dafoe was like, "Why'd you spill your beans?" Um, <laughs> and I was like, yeah. "Ah, yes, he." I don't yes, know. Yes, he beans, probably spilled you know? his beans. I don't know what the beans were, but they sure have been <laughs> spilled. <laughs> yeah. No, and we don't even get like the. Uh, yeah what we don't really know like the the beans but i think it could be inferred that the beans is that he killed his boss and kind of took his identity and that's like his his beans Beans. (laughs) Um, i do really like the um i really like the interpretation that they're the same person because i feel like narratively that's a lot more sad you know because the end of the movie is is he kills willem dafoe and then he goes up and he peers into the lighthouse and then he falls down the stairs and dies um and i think narratively it's a lot more satisfying if if you view that as this is the moment where he becomes the willem dafoe that we've been seeing throughout the whole movie like you you phrased it charlie Mm -hmm. as like this is robert pattinson's origin story for becoming willem dafoe and i like that interpretation a lot because i think it's more narratively satisfying um and it also i think lends itself really well to a rewatch sort of like a sixth sense kind of thing it's a lot less explicit than sixth senses but i think rewatching it with that knowledge even just looking back on the movie thinking about it that way it makes it makes a lot of sense and you can see a lot of like pattinson's uh habits that his character exhibits throughout the movie um some of his private doings in the shed uh, we see we see kind of mirrored with Willem Dafoe um, performing some of the same things uh, at the top <laughs> of the lighthouse, uh, and and that was sort of you know I hate that that is the connection that was made in my brain, but I was like I mean <laughs> hey if the boot fits the boot <laughs> if the shoe fits, um, but I I think yeah uh, I, I like that interpretation a lot I think. This movie probably is a little bit, it has more of a, I feel like it has more of a clearer kind of, any interpretation you can make feels 
infinitely more sturdy than interpretations you can make of I'm thinking of ending things. Because uh, that mm, movie, yes. boy, that movie was a dense fog. And uh, I, I think the dementia reading is really the only one that makes sense for I'm thinking of ending things. Um, but this, yeah, this movie, similar feelings, but I think a lot more approachable, honestly. Um, I never thought I'd <laughs> Being call more approachable. approachable. <laughs> yeah. Um, Here's the other thing very, very quickly on, on uh, like the origin story idea. It's a little countered by the point that at the very end of the movie, we see Robert Pattinson's character dying on the rocks. Mm-hmm. But, and I'm reading on Screen Rant right now that they take that scene literally. Uh, like that that is actually what is happening. Screen Rant it, takes that li- scene literally? Yes, Screen okay. Rant takes it literally. I definitely don't. Yeah. I think that you could totally read the movie as he falls down the stairs of the lighthouse. That's how he gets Willem Dafoe's like weird leg injury. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, mm-hmm. you because you do see him like snap his ankle right before like he, he falls down the ladder and then the stairs and you see his ankle like get really yeah, broken. Yeah, get whomped. Absolutely. And I think he knocks out there and then they save him. And then that's what happens. Uh, uh, but mm. you could also read it as, you know, afterwards he manages to crawl to the rocks and then gets uh, eaten by the birds. I think that that is meant to be like literally an allusion to Prometheus. Uh, or oh, yes. The There's a is. lot like, of yeah. Prometheus stuff in this movie. That's really, yeah, mm-hmm. that's worth talking about. I mean, he talks about, you know, he, just the word like Promethean is used a lot, but there's the whole idea of, of, retrieving the fire and bringing it down um mm-hmm. you know that's that's mm-hmm. very that's very promethean and and the the last shot of pattinson sort of on the rocks getting his his entrails plucked out by birds is is also promethean imagery you know he was was it like the chain to a rock and that like eagle ate yeah, the his liver eagle. every yeah. day nibbling um, on him um, yeah crazy stuff yeah and i've heard the i definitely could see the prometheus thing but i also can see um well i was basically watching this video and it was talking about just the power dynamics and how that like you have the keepers of the lighthouse versus the ocean and then you also have that kind of fight for power between both Thomas Wake and Thomas Howard. And then it also kind of tied in a side, uh, kind of sidestepping the Prometheus point, but kind of talked about the story of Oedipus um, and basically setting up Thomas Howard as Oedipus and then having um, the, having Wake be his father and the light be someone of like the uh, the mother that he's kind of destined to receive as a reward. Um, and then as soon as he like kills his father and he receives his mother, then he just kind of falls into madness, which you do kind of see um, in Oedipus, that like oh, the yeah. choice of killing your father. More than and kinda. Your, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, again, all bad. But I definitely... Thought that was an interesting um, like relation because I I read all the the series of Oedipus last year in my philosophy class mm. um, and just being able to to see the kind of connections within the story I definitely feel like if we're taking the Howard and Wake as separate people um, and just having Wake be a incredible gaslighter 
Um, and this is also what I want to touch on when we're talking about like the separate people that we did kind of talk about how there would was this possibility. Um, there was a possibility that Ephraim Winslow or uh, Thomas Howard could possibly have like dissociative identity disorder. And that's why he's able to kind of like which between um, like that could be a way to kind of explain the behavior. Of course, if they're going at that angle, I wouldn't necessarily say that it would be handled as well as the other theories. Um, But I just wanted to bring it up because we did like talk about it and just to see if we, if anything more has developed. Yeah. I think you could make that argument. I don't know that I would though. I think it's definitely like probably the least supported angle. Um, yeah, but you definitely could ar- argue for it. Um, I I was interested. I think I think there's a lot to dig into whether you view it as they're the same person or they're different people. I mean, well, either way, they are different people because you know e- even if Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson are the same, Willem Dafoe is sort of a symbolic stand-in for uh, Thomas Howard, who was yeah. you know a real separate person. Um, but over the course of the movie, you get this. It's really interesting seeing. Um, Pattinson start out in this sort of like role of the oppressed, like Willem Dafoe has just completely got him shackled. Um, <laughs> and, and by the end, you know, when Robert Pattinson goes full on crazy mode, uh, he has complete dominion over Willem Dafoe. He's got him walking mm-hmm. around on all fours. Like a dog. Like a dog. Literally dog walking this fool up and down the lighthouse rock. Are you that, kidding? That was <laughs> genuinely like, it was so troubling. You just have to laugh. Like it was like <laughs> literally the, the utter yeah. the way this man has broken Willem Dafoe. Um, very, uh, very, uh, you know, the, the captor becomes the new, the new tormentor, the captive, I guess, captive. A very, very, very Konicky and Jason pilled, if you'll allow me uh, to. Um, oh, um, <laughs> okay. If you'll allow me to. Um, but. I just I had to slip that in uh, before uh, we take us because it's already somehow been forty minutes. I feel like this episode has flown by. There's wow, so much yeah. To talk about. Uh, but we do. We have an obligation. We have a mission, and that mission is to answer questions from patrons. So if you'll allow me, I would like real quick, real quick, fast, to uh, do a quick old uh, little patron question and answer segment. Dun dun um, dun. Oh, always a lot of fun if you don't know how this works it's very simple patrons ask us questions and we provide answers uh about whatever it could be as simple as how are you doing you know it's always it's always what's socratic cinema going to talk about what's socratic cinema doing? <laughs> not, not how um, and True. i just like the companionship of the patron question and answer model it's uh, it's conversation so if you want to yeah. get, mm-hmm. get to know us, if you want to develop parasocial relationships, I'm down. Become a patron. Um, <laughs> but we have our first question. We have our first question of the day. I'm stalling for time as I scroll up from Heather and Michael Clark. They ask, now that you've done a few guest episodes, we've done two. We've done Kiki, Kaylin Meadows, and... Uh, Max Talene, our all quiet episode, which just came out. Go check it out. They ask, 
Who would be other guests or collaborators you'd like to have on the show or even in video essays? Now, mm. I could talk about this for hours and hours. I love, <laughs> I love, I love people. I love making little friends. Um, I think for me, the dream answer, right? The dream. Well, there's a lot of dream podcast guests. I, there's so many people I'd love to talk to. So many directors and and like famous movie people that I'd love to talk to. Uh, I of course really want to pick Jacob Geller's brain just at some point about something, because um, he's he's really cool. Yes, yes. Uh, that would be the most most rules thing to ever happen on the show. Uh, also, Captain Kristen is another video essayist that I would just l- love to talk to. Um, because I just think his work is uh, like he's he's one of the best in the game right now. I think genuinely he might be my favorite. Um, but on the video essay front, you know, we actually have done a video essay collaboration, mind you. The Blood Meridian video mm. essay did feature Benjamin August literature. Lovely, lovely tuber helped me understand what the heck Blood Meridian is even about. Um, but there's a whole host of people I'd love to collaborate with. Usually, usually collaborations only go as far as like, hey, do you want to, hey, video essay friend, do you want to read this quote in my video? Because it's a fun way to get people more involved. But um, I would like to, I, you know, there may or may not be some collaborations coming down the pipeline. I don't know. I'm not going to oh. make, any, I'm not going to make any promises because I don't, I haven't made a video essay in a while and I don't know when the next one's going to be, but I'm thinking about it. Um, but I would like, like, dude, there's so many people I'd love to collab with. What do you mean? It's a lot of the same list as the podcast guests. I would love to talk to, like, Noah Caldwell-Gervais or, 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 or Captain Kristen or Jacob Geller or uh, uh, a bajillion other people. I don't know. Afterthoughts. I'd love to do a collab essay with Kiki at some point. I think that'd be so much fun. Um, there's a lot of great, great creators out there. Go watch him. That's my answer. I'm sorry for talking so long. Good answer. No, that's a great answer. That that was very thorough, James. Thank you. I want to leave a little <laughs> silence in there so we can fully appreciate the impact of, of all me, of those lovely names. Because those are I love my friends. <laughs> I mean, because for for you audience people, all of James's friends are cool, and they're all on this one cool server. And I, I was lucky to be invited to it, and they all seem so cool, and I need to inter- interact with them more. Uh, so, yes, literally everybody from that server and from elsewhere that James mentioned are the bestest people. Truly. Uh, but, Casey, who are your dream guests? Ooh, okay. So, dream guests. I would love for us... And, and here's my thing. So, I'm kind of looking at this as a we're kind of comparing formatting like what format like if we were going to have a guest and they were going to bring something from their formatting what would I think that we'd really thrive in right Mm. so I think there's this youtuber who kind of just kind of funnily reviews horrible movies while putting her like makeup on which is hilarious to me um but her name's Kenny JD she's very very funny um and I feel like when we're kind of looking at that live, uh, kind of that live reaction and just kind of riffing off of each other and riffing off of her, I feel like, and oh, sorry, mind you, I have, apart from these people on this 
podcast here uh, and some people uh, on the outside, I really don't know too many podcasting people. I am not James. Um, <laughs> so the people that I'll be referencing are not people that I know personally. Uh, sorry, just wanted to give that little uh, <laughs> disclaimer. But I feel like we'd really thrive in that. I feel like we could thrive with the uh, members of the Black Men Can't Jump in Hollywood podcast. 10 out of 10. Love them. Um, And then I also feel like, well, and also let me touch on going back to Kenny JDU, which is something that uh, this is just a segment that she does where you'll defend a really, really bad movie. So like you'll watch it and you're like, okay, I acknowledge that it's terrible, but, and then you have to like argue why it is. Yeah. Why it isn't that bad of a movie. Um, But yeah, those would probably be my peeps that I would bring on. Dang. Dang. Uh, Unlike my uh, fellow co-hosts, I have never watched a podcast in the past five years. Uh, I, I, I used to watch them a lot when I played World of Warcraft, uh, which is a very fun fact. I, for, I honestly forget which podcast I even watched when I did that. Uh, but I'm very uneducated in the podcast circles. And I think out of all the video essayists that I know, Jacob Geller is the top of my list there. So I got some people mm-hmm. from the industries that I'm a part of uh, that I would love to to talk to at some point. Uh, really for film, I have one, I guess two answers, uh, if you could classify it as that. Uh, they made this little movie called The Lego Movie and Into the Spider-Verse. Uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller. Uh, <laughs> would be a, they would be a phenomenal duo to talk to, I think. Uh, yeah. You know, and and maybe yeah. they owe it to us. Maybe they don't. And and we'll never know. <laughs> who. And I got this close to confronting them about it because I went to a panel on Mitchell's uh, versus the Machines uh, and they were there. And I didn't go up afterwards to scold them because they had just impressed me so much with how incredibly smart they are. Like, these are two genuinely incredibly intelligent people. And the fact that we have them in the film industry is like a boon and we should praise them because of uh, all of the the cool creative stuff that they're trying to do, at least in the realm of animation. Like, they're one of the few uh, set of producer-director types that are, like, trying to push animation into new formats that are not just, like, another Pixar movie or another DreamWorks movie. There's a lot of creative stuff happening. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I'm very excited to see what they continue to do there. But in terms of games, I was thinking about it and I was like, who's my games hero that that we could talk to in the podcast? And there's a lot of really great Japanese designers, I think, in the game space that that do a lot of great work. But I can't really talk to them as I do not know Japanese. Let's let's get Hideo Kojima on the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and we'll also bring a translator because this uh, podcast isn't chaotic enough already. (laughs) And we can pass uh, all of his takes through somebody else. But I would love to talk to Hideo Kojima. Uh, I read your book, Hideo. It's very good. Uh, but in terms of people that we could actually talk to, Robert Nashak, Bobby Nash, uh, is a professor at USC for games. And he is one of the funniest people that I know. Uh, I really love him. And my favorite story about him is that we were in this class called Business and Management of Games that he taught. And one of the things in there is he teaches you to analyze advertisements like they're poems. And he says that line repeatedly. Uh, and one time we were watching a PlayStation ad, and for context, Bobby Nash is a gay man. Uh, I promise that is important context. Uh, but we're watching a PlayStation ad, and it's it's uh, two people sword fighting, and it's meant to be like uh, an Elder Scrolls thing. He pauses it, and he goes, 
little gay, isn't it? And then he unpauses and then he keeps going. And it's just like, Jesus, Why Bobby. Why is this me? <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, and he does that every single class. And he's had some funny lines about Dua Lipa as well. Uh, Dua Peep? Like, Dua Peep. He, he has said great takes on Dua Peep that I think are very funny. Uh, but I think he would be a very entertaining guest to have on uh, the podcast. So those are my my two answers. But really, just any professional uh, I would love to talk to or just anyone. I, I think that everyone that everybody has mentioned here would be a very great podcast guest. Come on the show. I'd like to talk. I have one last thing. I would like to talk to Skyhoppers about uh, Makoto Shinkai's filmography. I want to talk to him about your name. He just did a video about your name. That is incredible. Go check it out. I'd like to talk to him more about that movie. Um, we have another question, though. We have one more. And then the no segment's loss. over. I'm sorry. This, this question, this question, maybe will be a little shorter. What's your favorite black and white movie? Ew. Oh, timey. Have we had? Have we? Have we done this question before? Yes, I'm almost positive that we've done this. I don't I know think, when we did it. Yeah, I don't either. But I, I just got like a, a the reverse of a premonition. Um, uh, Deja vu. <laughs> Yeah, I guess that's what it's called. Um, <laughs> but that didn't quite have the mythic element I was going for. Um, <laughs> the mythic element. <laughs> I yeah. Um, Casey, what's your favorite black and white movie? M- Mank, twenty twenty. No, 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 I'm joking. No. I am joking. So I'm actually looking at a list of black and white movies released in the last like. <laughs> I was like, okay, I've seen Passing. I I stomached Malcolm and Marie, but overall, I asked about this uh, movie because it shout out AP Euro. Um, oh my gosh! But I'm gonna go with Schindler's List as. My the best black and white movie, or my favorite black and white movie. Yas, that's a. I mean, that's a great pick. No one will fight. Did you just say the best with a question mark for Schindler's List? I'm just saying I would never like walk up to somebody and be like, "This is the best." Blank. I don't know. I'm. Uh, James is like the best black and white movie Sin City, baby. (laughs) Come on now. I just wouldn't call anything the best. I don't know. I'm very. I'm very scared of objectivity. Um. (laughs) Oh my god! Um, yeah. Wow, my o- only a Sith deals in absolutes. James is a Jedi. My no, literally. Black and white movie is, yeah, that's a you know that's a great question. Uh, I love Roma. Um, I really really enjoy Roma. Uh, I also like this little movie that uh, I think you guys all have probably seen called "It's a Wonderful Life." Um, oh. <laughs> I'll like recommend something good, and you guys are like this guy. Oh my, <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> it's only a heartwarming Christmas movie about the importance of your life on this earth. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, lame. Charlie, what's your favorite black and white movie? Uh, Rashomon. I love it. I Tired. love it oh so much. It's Tired. very very good. Tired. What a tired. T- <laughs> what are wow. you talking about? Jeez. <laughs> God, the movie wins tired? at the Venice Film Festival or whatever the international thing is. It's kind of a tired film, you know? Like it's just yeah. Kind of He's like done. tired, played yeah. out. Death. Yeah. I mean, have you seen The Last Duel? Kind of did it way better. Oh, if you were in person, I would strangle you. I will say that. that. I will say that the last uh, the last duel is worse. I will say that the last duel is worse than Rashomon. Yeah, um, James hates Rashomon. Uh, I, just, I think yeah. it, it it's ridiculous, right? Like if you look back at the movie, 
the main Mifune, uh, 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 who's the main actor, is just so over the top, bonkers off the walls. Like it's clearly in that era where they're just getting out of of uh, silent movies, so they still have very over the top actors. And a lot of Kurosawa's movies are are still very over the top, regardless. Uh, but it it's just such a ridiculous movie, but it's also just really well structured and really well shot. Uh, and I also like Seven Samurai, but the other main benefit of Rashomon is it is one of the few Kurosawa movies that is not three and a half hours long. Oh, uh, so yeah. I could actually stomach it because if there's something that I hate more uh, than anything else in the world, it is a very long movie. I think that no. movies that deserve my or like the, uh, they get like two hours of my time and then they got to really prove the third. No. Uh, and oftentimes it's hard to prove the third. You got to watch Drive My Car with me. We'll watch that movie. Okay, okay, we'll watch Drive My Car, and my opinion shall change. But Rashomon, very good. Same with Seven Samurai, very good. But Lighthouse is actually also legit, one of my favorite black and white movies. Uh, but yeah, Rashomon takes the top slot. And I think that's all the questions for today. It's, we're also coming up on the hour mark. Um, I got one more Lighthouse thing. I got one thing to say to you, Charlie. Yeah. Did you know that Drive My Car, it takes 45 minutes for the opening credits to roll? Oh like, my lord! There's there's 45 <laughs> minutes of movie and then the opening credits happen. Um, very fresh pilled. Um, there's a very funny quote from somebody on Masterclass. It's in one of those advertisements, uh, and he's a playwright. It might be David Mamet, and he goes, "All stories have a beginning, middle, and end, but not necessarily in that order. And that's why all French movies are bad." Ha 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 ha! And all I'm saying well, is, is, if a Japanese movie. So it takes 45 minutes to get to the start. Ooh. No, it's important. Um, but what's your last take, Charlie? Take us home. I wanted to take us away from the lighthouse and go to the historical context behind this movie. Ah. Uh, because and there's a real together. story. Exactly. Exactly. I'm I'm French in that way. Uh, but there's a real story behind the lighthouse, and it's it's partially what inspired the script, and it's partially uh what inspired the the director and his brother to write about this, the Eggers. Uh, and it's the story of, I'm getting all this from Screenroom, by the way, I'm citing my sources. Uh, it's the real story of Thomas Aid. Howell and Thomas Griffith, Griffiths. Uh, it's, it's too many TH sounds in there. Uh, <laughs> but basically, uh, they were in a lighthouse that was located in the Smalls, uh, which is a, a very small area off the Welsh coast. And before they went to the lighthouse, uh, Thomas Griffiths and Thomas Howell, uh, who I will call Tom and Thomas for the sake of simplicity, uh, hated each other like they were known to absolutely despise each other and they would fight at bars and to think that you would be cooped up with somebody for a month maybe more uh, that you absolutely despise is a very bad thought in my mind and the fact that they actually did it in a very harrowing situation is really quite crazy but they hate each other and now they're on this tiny little lighthouse together and the story gets a little fuzzy but apparently due to a freak accident uh griffiths dies uh just straight up dies and the other keeper, uh, whose name is Howl, right? Howl thinks that, okay, if they come here and they find me with this dead body, they're going to think that I murdered this guy, especially if I try and throw him into the sea, right? But I can't leave the body in here, otherwise it's going to rot and decay. I can't throw it into the sea, otherwise they're going to think that I murdered him. So what do I do? This is his solution. He decides to build a wooden casket uh, for Griffiths and string it on ropes outside which is sort of a smart idea in that the body's now going to decay outside and you don't have to deal with all the problems inside 
But what ends up happening is that the wind and the surf are so strong that it eventually breaks open the casket and Griffith's body falls out and is entangled by these ropes. And it falls oh, out geez. in such a way where you can see the body directly outside the bedroom window. And uh. for weeks on end, uh, because again, this guy is trapped in here for weeks tending this lighthouse. You can see the hand of Griffiths almost beckoning him to come outside. Uh, it keeps rapping against the window as well as it blows, as the wind blows it against the, the glass pane. Mm. Uh, and it's just the most harrowing thing to imagine. And at the very end of this, Hal comes out and he's a changed person. Like his friends absolutely do not recognize him because of how terrifying this whole experience was. And in fact, it was such a, a transformative experience for him that the government took notice and they said, oh, maybe we shouldn't be sending two guys alone to a remote lighthouse and expect them to not go insane. Uh, so until like 1980, they instituted a rule where there had to be at least three uh, lighthouse keepers uh, at any given post to stop something crazy like that from happening. Uh, but what I really like about that story is you can totally see the moment that uh, Eggers wanted to stretch into an entire movie. Uh, like mm. you could totally see the the fact that this body rapping on the window is this like crazy maddening thing. And to deal with that for weeks on end must be an insane experience. And he's like, I want to make my audience feel that, uh, which I think is really cool because there's a lot of uh, I, I like coming up with ideas. In fact, I'm I'm in a position where I need to come up with a lot of ideas right now for games and seeing that somebody got such a cool idea from one of these like short little stories is really inspiring to me. And I think that it's a, it's a really, really cool thing that happened. And I'm glad that the Eggers chose that and they made a movie out of it. Uh, but that is the real story behind The Lighthouse. It's also based on an Edgar Allan Poe story by the same name, I think, called The Lighthouse. But uh, that's one of the many inspirations behind it. And I think that's beautiful. Wow. And that's absolutely I... terrifying. <laughs> yeah, that's, also, that's really scary. Um, and now you know. Now you got a little history lesson along with your podcast. Exactly. Um, and before I take us to the spiel zone, I just want to say uh, this is not 3-4. I'm beating myself in the brain for not recognizing that. Uh, it's 1.19 to 1. Oh, yeah. How dare you? God. Well, no, I'm just saying I should have known, like, I should have known that it wasn't 3-4. I'd never guess 1.19, but it's way too square. But with that being said, thank you so much for listening. This has been another episode of the Socratic Cinema Podcast. If you enjoyed, please be sure to share with your friends, like, subscribe blah, 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 hit the bell. You can find us on social media, on Instagram at Socratic underscore cinema and Twitter at Cinema Socratic. Uh, give us a follow on there to stay up to date. Never miss a new episode. If you'd like to support the channel monetarily, you can do so at patreon.com slash Socratic Cinema for as little as $1 a month. Uh, you can find us on all major podcasting platforms and uh, we will see you in two weeks. That was a fast spiel. No, no, no yeah, fast spiel zone in the West. Wow, I think actually in two weeks... In three weeks, it'll be Halloween. Okay. Sad. Sad things. Um, Spooky. So, adios. Adios.